And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and with us today are the usual culprits, Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitter. There's a few tired faces around though because we're recording this bright and early on Tuesday morning after Manchester United made their way gloriously into the fourth round of the FA Cup with a, well, less than convincing win over Aston Villa in the end, wasn't it? Um, Andy, was that any different to Wolves apart from the scoreline? A little bit. Uh, I was I was alarmed, but slightly less alarmed by than against Wolves. I think Wolves had more chances than, than Aston Villa did. I think Villa maybe had some better players. I think McGinn stuck out for me more than any Wolves player. But I just remember thinking in the second half, did I really think at one time that going to games at Old Trafford was boring because it was so predictable because United just used to beat everybody? And you go and teams like Villa and Everton just beat them 2-0 all the time and it became boring. And this sounds awful saying this now, but, but it is the truth. I can remember United winning the league and coming out against uh, West Ham in, in 07 and United had not won that game and just thinking it's gone a bit boring hasn't it and you're winning the league and just thinking how spoiled I just think it's human nature I'm sure there are some I know there are some City fans now who go to matches thinking we're just gonna we're just gonna win all the time so it is human nature but it is a real shock to the system and I first felt it when Fergie just left and Southampton came my gosh Southampton is a better team here what's, what's going on and we're seeing it all the time now. Wolves were a better team. Aston Villa for large chunks of the game were a better team. If we're going to try and be positive, United are through to the fourth round. Glorious, you said. I mean, that, that's, that's an, an optimistic use of that word. You could probably sense my tone at that point. Definitely. Yeah. And, 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 a, and a clean sheet. And Scott McTominay scored a good goal. And it was a good first eight minutes. But it was a good first nine minutes in, in Rome. And United didn't win that one. United won this one. Villa will feel very hard done to, I, I, I feel. I don't know what you feel, Laurie. Yeah, agree, Andy. I think United actually, um, very similar to the, to the Wolves game. And just thinking back to what you were saying about, you know, back in the day, you know, certainly there were, there were matches where, you know, Charlton 2-0 at home and you'd be like, it's, it's a bit... Bit tedious, this. <laughs> you know, you just you just pray for that now because you know again there was that element of chaos, wasn't there? Where I think Ralph Ranjik has tried to you know he came in with the the word control, didn't he? Um, was his first thing, and ideally that's what all managers would like to have a um, a team that can go out there and just assert themselves and be measured in what they do. I think he's realised that actually with this group of players, control is a sort of a distant oasis, and really. You know, the 4-2-3 the won the return to that that Solskjaer obviously had throughout his career at United. That that basically is the best system, I think, for this group of players right now. Um, and actually, attacking-wise, probably better than 
any other match that Ralph Rangnick has overseen so far. I know that's not saying much because you know they've scored one goal in each of the games that they have scored in. Um, but actually, there was a few nice moves. It's quite quick on the attack in those situations. And on the flip side, Villa, when they attacked, it was much more considered. They had the neat little triangles in midfield. They had you know advantage in terms of new numbers in midfield because Bruno was obviously pushing on into the number 10. Um, and they seemed the, the team that was more with it, more cohesive. And I guess United just got really lucky in not conceding. Somehow it's a clean sheet. I mean, before the game, Ralph Rangnick was consulting his piece of paper to say, you know, how improved the defence was under him compared to Solskjaer, which is, is fair enough. And, and actually those numbers have even got better, but only by the grace of God. The last United manager I remember bringing up a piece of paper was Louis van Gaal when uh, he was sort of fighting accusations of long ball tactics from Manchester United when Manchester United had had a few games where they'd played quite a few long balls and somehow he managed to argue the opposite with a piece of paper in his hand and a fist on the desk. Um, most importantly, Andy, from last night, what did your mum make of it? Because I believe she was able to watch Manchester United in full. Um, I'm not sure it was the greatest advert for watching Manchester United in full, but what did you think? I'll, I'll find a message in hours as we talk. Um, she's got COVID, my mum, and she's an old Trafford girl, and she, she pronounces um, United as United. United. <laughs> my grandma used to do that. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it's that part of Manchester or that generation. I just don't know, but... She said to me yesterday how excited she was that the game was on TV and I was quite struck by it because I just assume wrongly that anyone in our world is watching all of the games one way or another, be it by streams. And I tweeted this and she thinks that a stream is someone that runs into a river and she doesn't have a subscription to Sky TV because she says it's too expensive. And when you look at it, you think, well, I think Sky have got like 10 million subscribers and there's 70 million people living in the UK and when a game is on terrestrial television which is extremely rare it doesn't allow an awful lot of people to watch that match like my mum and I just like the innocence and optimism of it because there's not a lot of that around among Manchester United fans at the moment and she sent me a message at the end saying result exclamation mark that man Scott McTomey who I think she means is McTominay, <laughs> is ace at heart. So, nice. job job done. I honestly... Well done, Scott. I honestly don't think she will have been analysing like Villa's tactics. I just think if she if United win, that, 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 is, that is good enough for her. Is she a fan of 4-2-3-1 against the 4-2-2-2 that's been used in recent weeks? She, she doesn't profess to know anything and yet she'll make the most prophetic statements about like... He don't look happy him. I think he's moving and like the next day Fergie will resign. And like she she just gets things. She she's very good at like getting a barometer of stuff. And um she grew up very close to, to the ground and she likes football. She doesn't really go to games, she's not really interested in going to the matches and, and she's you know she's not she's not a kid anymore, but she married into a big football family. So everyone in my family basically plays plays football so she, she had no choice but I'm, I'm glad that she still has that enthusiasm for it and when I put that tweet out a lot of people got in touch and said my parents were the same not everyone has these subscriptions and watches games on on streams they rely on maybe match of the day for highlights and the occasional joy of a live game on terrestrial television yeah my dad was there last night in his seat I was working and my mum texted me 
nothing about the game, just asking if I'd seen Prince William. I don't think Prince William was there. So why my mum thought I'd see him, I've no idea. But <laughs> that's mum's for you, it's isn't brilliant. it? Brilliant, um, brilliant. That they see it in, in a totally different way. And no, there's no right or wrong way of doing this. And my dad always preferred to play rather than watch. And I'd say, do you want a ticket to the game? No, what do I want to watch that for? Dad, they're the European champions, they're the world champions. It's three miles from your house. I'm going to get you a ticket. Absolutely crap, son. And I once once went to a game and he bumped into Andy Cole at half-time. Get your boots on because this is absolutely disgraceful what is going on there. It was like the best game of the season against Newcastle. It was really, really entertaining as United were on the way to another league. This is, he went home. He went home after about 50 minutes. But then this is a man who was moaning in Barcelona the day after the treble win because the team didn't turn up. Some people have very different expectations. If Tales of Our Parents doesn't put a smile on your face on this Tuesday morning, I'm not sure what will, but the thought of Steven Gerrard sat having his cup of tea this morning, despondent that his team are out of the FA Cup and he's had a miserable night at Old Trafford. Furious with VAR, even better, Laurie, is sure to put a smile on your face, isn't it? Every Manchester United fan could enjoy that. The defining image of Mick Phelan with the big grin on his face, he was all of us at that point, wasn't he? I'd love to know if he genuinely was laughing at what was being sung at Steven Gerrard. Because, I mean, from the get-go, he came out, you know, on the tunnel and he's obviously getting it, you know, from the Red Army section that's right behind. He stared him out at one point, you know, when he got to his to the touchline they're obviously singing various songs you know dedicated to him something about Denver Bar and, and slipping um, and he turned and just sort of stared them out I was thinking this I mean you know fair play you know <laughs> bring it on I suppose but um, obviously at the end you know United had the, had the last laugh because they, they, they're through in the FA Cup and I know it might seem like a you know, a kind of a token tournament now, but you know, United really. No, no, not for United no. this year. Definitely yeah, not. That's what I mean. It's like it's it's their best chance of silverware, isn't it? And you know, United fans now they can't dismiss opportunities to win silverware because it's been what twenty seventeen since the last one. I think one once in seventeen years United have won the FA Cup, which is crazy. When you know, when I was growing up, when we were you know kids, it was they were in the final every other year, weren't they? Um, it seemed like it anyway. So. I, I, I was pleased that United actually got through and obviously they've got Middlesbrough in the next round so it's uh, you know, you'd know you think that's a more comfortable match although Chris Wilder's doing a good job there um, but no, the, the Gerrard element was certainly a kind of a lightning rod for, for things um, the Villa fans were obviously aghast at the, the VAR decision I mean that is a, it, it kind of did bring it home again being in the stadium that actually the whole delay is, 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 is ridiculous isn't it you know the fact that they haven't got a kind of explanation as to what's going on um, and we we could see it on our screens in the press box, you know the kind of the the fast forward and and the rewind and the slow mo onto that, you know the flick from Ollie Watkins to Danny Ings and you there is he as he touched it just go back the offside from Jacob Ramsey was obvious, you know he's blocked Cavani it's a foul and he was offside in the first place straightforward decision it shouldn't have taken three minutes no and in the end they got the correct decision didn't they one way or another that's what I'm that's my take and I'm sticking to it um, Laurie you've written about. The match last night, the formation tweaks, obviously it's up on the Athletic at the minute if everyone wants to go and have a look at that, but can you just bring us some highlights from it? Yeah, it touches a little bit on the fact that um, Ranjik and Chris Armas, I think, felt that they'd got a good four days of training in uh, and... So one of the aspects around the Newcastle game, you know, the, the, when that was perhaps the, the day for the for that system that, that Ralph Ranick tried to, to bring in, was this idea that were the players being given enough instruction on the ball, you know, so it's it's kind of 
a great principle the gegen pressing to kind of attack the ball in waves you know high up once you've lost it you know in, in, in you know within eight seconds uh, win it back but actually then what to do with it once you're on the ball and that was kind of what they uh, I think wanted to get across to players um, in this week of training kind of simplify things a little bit um, the triggers in terms of when to press um, a bit more obvious and, and kind of straightforward and then drilling into them where they wanted players to move and the kind of setups that they wanted to try and generate and, and to be fair you could see that really I mean Scott McTominay in the first 15 minutes did sort of three passes out to the left wing to Rashford the diagonal balls was basically what Ranyard was trying to get quite frequently because obviously Villa were close in the centre with the three uh, midfielders that they've got and even Buendia was dropping back you know so they had, they had an overload there so he, his idea was actually just get it wide you know in, in kind of one fail swoop and, and that kind of worked to be fair so that's what I kind of mean about sort of getting a bit closer to what you might like to see from United and actually it's the it's the quality and, and decision making in the final third that really ultimately let them down and, and perhaps if you get a cushion you know if you get two nil up it becomes a different game doesn't it and I'm not saying they could sit back in that moment I don't think United have got the abilities to ever really sit back but Actually, they would have been perhaps a bit more comfortable, um, but overall, I thought there was there was glimpses of, of good stuff, um, and perhaps just one final, if I can, Rafael Varane. I thought he was really good. You know, I thought you could see that in those moments where United were creaking a little bit, his quality sort of shone through. So hopefully, he can stay fit for a good while yet now. Yeah, I want to talk about Marcus Rashford definitely. I think uh, I think all three of us do. But before we do that, Andy, can we just have a mention to Diogo Dalo as well? I think he had eight stitches. In his ankle, there was claret everywhere at one point. It looked like he was wearing red socks, or a red sock, because it was only one leg that was bleeding. Um, but he, he he came through it and he completed the ninety minutes. Good on you, lad. I, that's exactly the. I, I mean, it's a bit sort of cavemanish a little bit, but that's exactly the sort of thing we want to see, isn't it? Yeah, and I thought he got better in the second half than in the first half. He did, yeah, and it was, it was good. We're picking out all these positives, which is quite good given how alarming it was when we actually watched the game. But Laurie's right. Alanga did a, a good cameo. Donny did. Jesse did. I mean, they only came on after 85 minutes, I think. But Varane looks really calm. I needed to because Victor had a horrible touch in the first half, which nearly set up Ollie Watkins. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to raise the, the point of the lot. I think that the formation, these players are much more comfortable with it. He touched on Rashford. In the first few minutes, I thought, that Rashford was actually better um, having the advantage of having that space on the left-hand side. I think that's where he's at his best. But then Villa just started cutting through Manchester United and that become more of a problem. But Delot has worked his way into contention from someone who I didn't think had a, a long-term future at the club, someone who'd been allowed to go out on loan. And that's a combination of a couple of things. It's Aaron Wambasaka regressing in some areas. It's Manchester United not getting Kieran Trippier. And it's him taking his chances uh, when, when he's got them. So good luck to him. Jose Mourinho always said of him, he will be the Gary Neville of, of, of this club. So I'm sure he's lining up TV gigs right now for a future beyond football. Yeah, he's just purchased a hotel in uh, the surrounding areas of Old Trafford as well. OK, let's do it then. Let's talk about Marcus Rashford. It seemed to be the talking point almost of post-match last night, certainly in the, the WhatsApp groups and on social media and, and even around the stadium being there as well. Laurie, what's wrong with Marcus Rashford? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I wish I'd, I knew and could say this is exactly what's going on, and and this is why perhaps it looks like he's you know perhaps low on confidence. I guess I think perhaps the t- the two main points are that, are that he didn't follow in those chances where Cavani has the shot 
and he's on his heels and the ball's sort of bouncing a bit loose and McGinn's got a bit of time to clear it in the first half and then in the second half Greenwood's had the shot and Martinez spills it again and, and fumbles around with it and, you, and that was the moment in the stadium where fans were like what what's going on here you know run for it you know there was it was it was it got a little bit edgy at that point actually where it sort of wasn't clear and I, from our angle it looked like it was it was odd that he hadn't chased it in it kind of goes to the heart perhaps of not just Marcus Rashford but a lot of players not quite sure what their teammates going to do in certain moments certainly Mason Greenwood shoots on site you know more frequently perhaps than perhaps all his teammates would like but then again that's where a lot of his goals have, have come from. He's obviously not quite hitting the back of the net at the moment, so therefore it's, well, okay, is that the right decision? And I wonder if when... So Marcus kind of pulled back, didn't he, and, and was perhaps looking for the cutback, and when that didn't come, he perhaps got disheartened, and, and that's sort of just something you've got to get over, really, I guess. You've, you've just got to be thinking all the time, well, okay, I haven't been found this time, but I've got, you know, I'm going to get the next one. So I wonder if it's just something like that. I mean, listen, the, the atmosphere at Old Trafford... You know, we've heard different reports of what Carrington rather is 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 something that I think can be questioned. You know, if you've got a sort of um, a, a bloated squad with players who want to leave, is that the best atmosphere to be sort of trying to strive your best at? Um, I suppose perhaps you look at the way that Paul Pogba, you know, got that left flank position for a while, um, even though he had you know previously said he wanted out. What whether that was you know a factor in. Marcus Rashford looking at the situation and going, should I not be given that platform to shine? Because for certainly, you know, you look at 2019-20, he carried Manchester United until, you know, he had his back injury, which, you know, he played through, you know, pain to do so. And then even last season, start of last season, he was brilliant. Him and Bruno Fernandes were the two that were holding it together, really, for Solskjaer. He was pretty good this season, I thought, when he first came into the side. I mean, I, he's not scored for 12 matches now. The last time he scored was Tottenham away. And at that point, he'd scored three and four. And it was his first four appearances back after his injury. And we were all saying he needed that break. He needed that rest. You know, he'd played a lot of football. Uh, and we thought that this was going to be the platform for him, Laurie, didn't we, really? But it, it's just not worked out that way. Shearer summed it up last night. Everything looks a chore for him at the minute, for whatever reason. The goals that he scored when he first came back were were, were quintessential Marcus Rashford goals, weren't they? You know, certainly that Leicester one sticks out. You know, long ball from Lindelof, and we've had we've seen that relationship before against Granada, against Sheffield United, coming through clinical first time finish, basically. You know, a quick finish, and I suppose getting into those kind of moments is what you'd, you'd quite like Marcus Rashford to to do. There's you know, when he went over to the right, you could see it happening. I watched it back, and, and certainly in the stadium, I didn't get the sense that he was he had the hump or anything like that. Because I mean, there was a moment where you know he got barged by David uh, Douglas Louise, and that for me should have been a foul. It wasn't given, and a sort of a split second later, he was flying into a challenge on Ezri Konsa, uh, and he actually wins the ball. It looked like it was a, a, a pretty dangerous one, but actually Konsa gets up, you know, no problem, and it, it goes out for a throw-in. And I was, on the one hand, you know, you look at that and going, that's fire, that's determination, that's what you want to see. On the other, it's like, oh, actually, has he got a bit annoyed there and, and lost his head? So it's kind of that fine balance of perception. And I, 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 he'd certainly, you know, f- to begin with, he got the ball and he dribbled with it hard, didn't he, on the left flank. And then in other moments, he was, he was, you could tell that he was really giving it some. Um, and then I suppose in other aspects, you think actually can can we get a bit more? Maybe he was tired at the end. I, I don't know, but it is it is a it's an interesting issue. And he was asked about it afterwards. Uh, Ralph Ranick, he you know didn't go into it too much. He didn't seem to feel like it was uh, an issue. He said as long as he's trying, he has been good in training. Marcus Rashford certainly um, after the Newcastle game, 
you know, by all accounts, he, he did really, really well. And I suppose he he might be thinking, I've, I've come into the team, done okay. You know, I think at Norwich and Newcastle, then I've come out of the team for the Burnley and Wolves games. Um, so, you know, it, perhaps he doesn't quite know exactly where he stands. And, and as somebody who's 24 now and has delivered for Manchester United in the past, maybe he feels that perhaps a, a bit more of an arm on the shoulder might be best. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting one to have a look at. The most cutting comment, I thought, from Rangnick, and, it, and in fairness, it probably is a very easy way of summing up the situation for Marcus. It's, he said, it would be good for Marcus to score, Andy. It's as simple as that in some ways, isn't it? It's just a confidence thing. He's not playing well. That's the bottom line. And you talked about the goals and the goals when he, he came back after his shoulder injury. That's fine. It's not fine because he's not scored enough. He's made one assist all season against Arsenal. So if you're playing in his position, you've got to be creating chances as well as scoring chances. I, I don't think he looks happy. When he left the pitch at Newcastle a couple of weeks ago, he didn't applaud the United fans. And I thought, that's really odd, that. Him, Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Nemanja Matic. Now, it's not a huge deal, but it's a small detail. I think Nemanja Matic is a belting fella. Maybe he just forgot, whatever, whatever. But Marcus is a Manchester lad who makes so much of being a United fan. And he just blanks the away fans. And it, it just doesn't look happy to me. And I don't know what's going on. I'd imagine that his career trajectory is not what he could have hoped for. I know that um, he felt that if he scored more goals, if he was scoring 20, 30 goals a season, Manchester United would be winning titles. And, and he had that, those conversations with people. And he's so far from that level at the moment. And he's one of several players who doesn't look happy. And he's not playing well. He started okay, but then after the game when he was benched and th there was images of him sat on the bench, he didn't look happy then either. And imagine if you're someone who's grown up scoring goals and you stop scoring goals, that's a, a major reason for you not feeling as good as you could do. Um, Laurie made a couple of points there. Granada, that piece of skill there, I think so few players at United are capable of that. Controllable bang goal. And I, I spoke to his manager and one of the coaches after that game. And the point was, he can have a quiet game if he's just going to do that. If he's going to produce that moment of brilliance. And also, there, I think there were elements of frustration where Mason Greenwood kept driving towards goal. Marcus was available, available, available. And then the point you touched on, it just did look like he'd given up. He didn't follow the ball through. He probably wouldn't have got the ball. But fans don't like to see that. They, they like to see players trying. And there is a lot of criticism for Marcus about the way he's playing football at the moment. It's nothing to do with his, his public relations. It's nothing to do with his social causes. It's about the way he's playing football at the moment. And I think that's valid. OK, don't forget that our podcast offers return so you can get 33% off access to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod for a third offer subscription to The Athletic where there's miles and miles of MUFC content and you'll also be able to listen to all our podcasts ad-free. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, well, we've tried our best to put a smile on people's faces or at least sort of find the positives from Manchester United's FA Cup third round tie last night. But if that's not worked, and we have tried several times, so it should have worked, but if it hasn't, this will. Remember 10 years ago when Paul Scholes decided that he was going to come out of retirement and surprise everyone, including his teammates. I think only the manager, Alex Ferguson, actually knew about this. He was going to come out of retirement and appear for Manchester United in a Manchester derby at the Etihad Stadium as a complete shock to the world of football. Here he is talking a little bit about it uh, to BT Sport a couple of years ago. Well, he wants me originally to come back and coach the reserve team with Warren Joyce, well, under 23s, I think they call it now. Started helping Joyce. He started training with him more than mm. often than that. I was training every day with the likes of Pogba, Lingard, Lionel Cote. It was all these type of players who were a really good side, and I was loving training. I was getting as fit as anybody knows Joyce's training. He's, you know, he's like a sergeant major. He has the fittest team at the football club, without a shadow of a doubt. And I was fit, I felt great, it got to December time, um, the team was struggling a little bit, they had a load of injuries, uh, no central midfield players really, I think they ended up playing Phil Jones and Fabio De Silva in centre midfield in a game, I think it was against Blackburn at Old Trafford, and they really struggled, I think, funnily enough, that was the end of Pogba that night, because he thought he should have been playing in centre midfield that night instead of them two, whereas it happens, he was playing the reserve team, wasn't doing well enough in the reserve team to, to warrant that. So I, I went to Joyce and I just said, look, I'm thinking of coming back. I, spoke, I think I spoke to Gary Neville, spoke to Phil Neville. And I, I was nervous about doing it because I thought, what, what are they going to say? Or, you know, what, if, what if he says no? Um, but I'd made my mind if he'd have said no, I'd, I'd have gone on to play for somebody else. I didn't want to play for another team, obviously. I obviously wanted to play for United, so the, I went to see Mick and Mick thought it was a great idea. It's all right, Mick think it was a great idea. Does the manager think it's a great idea? So... Day after, still nervous, knocked on his door and, and said, look, I, I'm thinking of coming back um, to play. And he said, great, straight away. He said, let, let me ring David Gill and we'll, we'll sort your contract out. Andy, in terms of sort of FA Cup third round memories for Manchester United, uh, I know there's sort of shocks and, and results and things like that, but in terms of stories, this is as good as it gets, isn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic, partly because of the, the secrecy of it. So Scholes was in training and he'd retired from playing and he was doing bits with some of the younger players and a lot of the United players kept saying to him, you should, you should, you should be playing again. You're, you're brilliant. And he'd just laugh at him and say, I want to spend more time with my family. Um, he, he just completely killed the conversation. And then the players were on the team bus to that game and saw Paul Scholes on the bus. And even then they said to him, what are you doing? And he just said, I've just got to watch the match. And they didn't push it. And he was playing. And they only realised when they walked into the dressing room and they saw his, his shirt hung up there with his name on the back. And they all looked at him. And he sort of went, yeah, I'm playing. And 
I spoke to a couple of lads who, who saw that shirt and they said it gave them such a lift because they're going to City and Skulls is back. And they know how good he is because they're still training with him every day and he, he's still putting the balls through the legs every day. He's still absolutely killing them in training every single day. And what a brilliant bit of kidology from Ferguson and Skulls the way he did it. Just keeping that impact for a few minutes before the match started. Um, for the players to realise it gave them a huge lift and, and it worked. Look at the result. Yeah, they were 3-0 up. It probably explains why they were 3-0 up away at Manchester City that day, given the players said they had a lift. It, it was weird though, wasn't it? 22 on his back. We'd seen 18, obviously, for so many years. Uh, and then it, it almost looked like, I, I don't know, it just didn't look right, did it, with, with 22 on his back. But a brilliant story, Laurie. And he came off the bench and nearly had a hand in helping City come back in the game, which might have spoiled it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's you kind of think back and think, did that really happen the way you sort of remember it? And Andy's obviously, you know, did. the oracle here, so he, he knows exactly what happened. And um, I remember, I think, just being with mates, don't you? And you're kind of like settling down to watch the game. You're like, Skulls, what's he, what's he doing there? Absolute <laughs> madness. Um, and I suppose it, like, it kind of crystallised you know, the Paul Pogba situation where he was on the edges of Manchester United's first team thinking he should break into it. And you had the, you know, the result at home to Blackburn, the 3-2, which was quite a, a killer one for that. And then also a defeat away to Newcastle just after that. And then this is when Skulls comes back. So that's the kind of context for, for Fergie thinking, actually, perhaps we need a bit of injection here. And obviously they're, they're in the title race, aren't they, with Man City? You know, so there's that element to it as well. It's not just an FA Cup game. It's perhaps a bit of psychology towards the, the running for, for that title race. Um, and, and so, yeah, bring bring Skulls, break the emergency glass and get the, the ginger maestro back on the pitch. And it, it certainly yeah, gave us you know a smile on our faces. And obviously then, you know, the next season played a part in another title winning team. So it, there was a, a merit to him actually, you know, returning to action. Yeah, you were saying before about his level, Andy. So I've gone to the pub to watch the game with my dad because we've not got a ticket for the match with it being away at the Etihad. And our friend Lenny, who at the time was my dad's next door but, but one neighbour, had managed to coax Skulls out of his retirement at that point to play for his vets team, <laughs> Chaddy Park. Brilliant. And Skulls, the first time he turned up, was something like they won 16-2, Skulls scored 14 and set up the other two sort of thing. He just absolutely ran the show. He was so much better than everyone else. It was embarrassing. Uh, but Lenny had kept managing to get him to come and play week after week. Anyway, before the match, Lenny's telling the story about, about how good Paul had been and all this sort of stuff. And he said, but it's weird. He didn't reply to my text this week. <laughs> and Lenny knew him because he'd taught his kids at school. Um, so he was sort of like, I don't know why he's not replied to my text. It's really unusual that he's not replied to my text. It normally always gets back to me, yes or no. He's one of the first to reply. So anyway, he was sort of like watching the build-up and all that stuff. The team comes up and he just heard Lenny in the corner go, Bloody hell, he's playing for United. <laughs> <laughs> and so it transpired about two or three days later, he texted Lenny and said, yeah, I'm sorry, mate, I couldn't reply because I didn't want to lie to you uh, and, and say anything other than, you know, I, I could have just said no, I suppose, but I just, you know, I've been ignoring anything around it because I didn't want to give anything away. Um, that is a so, brilliant yeah, it's story. Quite, it's quite... It's quite a sort of claim, isn't it, that he didn't play for your team because he was playing for Manchester United at the weekend it, instead. Is Lenny to thank then for Scholes being in good fitness? Probably, yeah, kept him sharp, yeah, running rings round vets players in Chatterton. Scholes' <laughs> son Aaron played for, for Chatterton in the North West Counties League as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I like well, it Lenny that, taught him, I like, taught him at school, yeah. I like it that he's involved in the community. I like it that normal people who go to the game are mates with him 
and I like it that his son goes to matches, he goes to away matches. And there was one player on the bus to the to the the game that day. When Scholes had said he was just watching the game, just went, Well, why are you on the team bus and, and not in the stand? Surely it's much easier for you. This is the worst way for you to, to go to the game. And he just said, Paul just smiled. <laughs> so that's from his own teammates. Brilliant. <laughs> It doesn't let Nike know either, did he? Because Danny Welbeck told the story of him having to buy the boots from JJB and Oldham on his way to the game as well. Danny Welbeck called them snide boots, which we were saying before recording the podcast. It's quite an interesting glimpse into the professional mind that if you buy the boots, they're snide, but if you get given them, they're all right. I love as well how after that, after he retired again, I think the second time, you'd you'd see these clips surface on social media where Scholes is playing for like, you know, some six-a-side team or whatever. He's doing little bits. Chaddy Park vets. Was, he it, went back was it always Chaddy Park yeah. then? Okay, so then he's as like... As far as I know, yeah. Well, he scored one from like the halfway line where he's like lobbed yeah, the keeper. It's like six-a-side nets. You're like, oh, five-a-side. How, how's he done that? <laughs> you know? uh, it's like some ridiculous... playing against some plodders in Chatterton. <laughs> but the, the gap between the quality is so big. If you're a, a decent semi-pro player, you'd stand out a mile at that level and if you're poor skulls it's just <laughs> so inconceivable you could just win the game by yourself he did he did that's what I mean I, I may have exaggerated slightly but from memory it was something like 16-2 <laughs> and he scored 14 it's absolutely ridiculous I mean, I think I think the opposition would have just stood with the mouths open that they were playing against Paul Scholes, who literally had retired from Premier League football two months before, sort of thing. You're right about it being nice though that he's connected to the community and he's, he's obviously you know Aaron Scholes on Instagram. He, he said some some uh, meaty things about the current Manchester United. And then Paul has Paul, recently. Well, that's what I was going to say. Paul has yeah. come out pretty strongly with you know the Insta story last week. You know, I think we didn't need any deciphering you know didn't need the enigma code did we to crack what skulls was trying to get at with his emojis um after the wolves game and i, I like that you know obviously it's a bt pundit and you can see him you know we saw after the atalanta game didn't we where he was just so you know uh disdainful i suppose of the way that united had played and predicted the way that liverpool would slice through him at old trafford a few days later and that is that is the mentality of a guy that is just that good, but also knows the standards that it takes to win a title year after year after year. And that, you know, he was clearly one of the heartbeats of that United team that kept going because he was so, I guess, nonplussed by the situation. I, I love the the story that he's, you know, as you say, Andy, that he's just smiled at the guy, you know, his teammate who clearly must know him well, and he's not even giving anything away to him. And that's, the, I suppose, that's just the kind of approach that you need. You need people like that in dressing rooms that aren't flustered by certain situations. And, you know, clearly he has very strong opinions on what is going on right now. And it'd be interesting to see him, you know, out on the training pitches maybe and, and, and giving these words to the players direct. He's not flustered by names either. So sometimes Ferguson will go to him about really big name players and say, what do you think of him? And he say, he's a tit. He's <laughs> trap. And he's just like cut straight to it. He's really dry. He's really funny. Uh, I did a trip with him a couple of years ago and spent a, a lot of time with him. And really enjoyed his company a lot. What was quite interesting was he was asking me loads about fan culture because when you play all the time, you're not a fan, you don't know what's going on. And he'd say to me things like, Is it safe for like my lad to be going to Anfield away? I'm like, Of course it is. It's not like in the 1980s. He just didn't know he had this massive uh, blank because he'd been seeing it from a professional perspective where. You bust in, you're in the changing rooms, you hear the noise, but your priority is obviously playing brilliantly and scoring goals and, and, and winning titles. So he's, I sense he was really keen to learn about 
fan culture and where where's the most dangerous place to go to? What's that like when you're up in the stands? And he's good and he, he goes to games now. I think he's a brilliant pundit. He doesn't mince his words whatsoever. Uh, I know at times there's been people at the club who are like, Jesus, he's absolutely hammering us at the moment. But he's only saying a lot of the time what a lot of fans are saying as well. And, and as you said before the Liverpool game, he was vindicated. I thought he was a bit strong before that, but he was right. He was totally right. I thought he was strong too, and he turned out it was Nostradamus. It was incredible, <laughs> that prediction, wasn't it? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right, any other business then? There's an interesting article, and I think it's really fascinating actually, Laurie, this, because it's rare that you get the level of access that you had to a man as important as Mike Phelan on the record. Uh, it's on The Athletic at the minute, if anyone wants to go and have a read, but um, sort of inside his coaching mind really, isn't it? And of course, he's been a big talking point in the last week or so with the stories that he's been the one tasked with trying to bring back the feel-good factor to Manchester United under Ralph Rangnick. What was he like to talk to, Mike Phelan? I really enjoy his company. Um, I did a piece a couple of years ago where he did a talk for a kind of, well, not working man's club, but like a, a local club in, in Burnley where it was like a, a sort of pub, you know, kind of setting and, and you had all these you know, fans in there in close proximity and, and they were asking him questions. And he he's just a bit like Paul Scholes, really. Dry, says things how he sees them, doesn't embellish and doesn't kind of go too crazy about 
you know, the next shiny new thing. And he was similar again in this situation. So uh, it was basically a coaching session that he'd done. It was advertised on his website. He's got a, a company called Sensible Soccer. And he basically said to coaches, you know, anywhere in the world, really, if they wanted to, to come and have a look at him doing a couple of sessions, one for uh, Manchester Met students, which were girls and boys, and then one for uh, Salford School boys, which, you know, they're more in, into football than perhaps the students were. But it was really interesting seeing him up close working with these kids in the different coaching setups. And the piece goes into it a little bit about what he did with them. And then afterwards, he did a Q&A for these coaches. So, you know, some had come from London, some had come from Ireland for the day. So, you know, his kind of pull was was pretty evident. And it, so I, I didn't ask him any questions. I sort of just listened in. But it was, you know, interesting queries, I suppose, from the people that were in attendance. And he spoke about, you know, various different aspects of what he sees as coaching. And he didn't give anything away. You know, it wasn't like he was you know, opening the the, the the secret door to Old Trafford or anything like that. But it was kind of just enough there that you thought, thought okay, this is somebody who, from, in my opinion, adds value to the, to the setup at Manchester United because he's been there and, and done it all. You know, he's seen it all. Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson was the figurehead, but Mike Phelan was an important cog during that period of, of success. You know, Carlos Quiros as well, Rene Mullenstein, different characters, but, but Phelan was sort of there, you know, the whole time. So he, he knows what he's talking about in that regard. And, you know, I, I thought there was some really interesting aspects where he spoke about, you know, wanting to concentrate more on players' strengths than their weaknesses. And in the comments, some of the people have kind of pulled him up on that and said, you know, this is, you know, kind of archaic. Why would you not train people's weaknesses? And I think what he was saying really was that actually the reason why players are at this level is because of what they're good at, you know. So, for example... Cristiano Ronaldo scores goals. That's that's what he's good at. You know, he's got great technique. He, he knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. To try and focus all your energy on right, you actually need to be better at tackling or, or tracking back or, or marking your man. That would be you know the wrong approach. You know, you want to kind of build players up and give them the platform to succeed to their fullest. Obviously, he does work on weaknesses. He certainly said a few sharp things to players behind closed doors that we've heard about. But at the same time, let's let's actually concentrate on what they're good at because then you'll give them confidence. Certainly with doing the Sir Alex Ferguson um, sort of tributes, I suppose, when he was 80 um, of, of New Year's Eve, a lot of what was coming back, you know, from Nicky Butt, from Mikhail Silvestre, for example, who, who works in football now as, as an agent. So he's, he's not like, you know, disconnected from the current modern football is enjoy yourself. You know, a lot of the time he would say, you know, go out there and express yourselves. And I think that's the kind of school that feeling comes from. Now, clearly, there's specific ways, you know, he, he was talking about how, you know, we know Marcus Rashford can run in behind, but we have to sort of, you know, say, why do you run in these positions, in these situations? Why do we need to give Cristiano Ronaldo the ball in these certain situations? So, he, obviously, there's more sophistication than just, you know, go out there and, and do well, lads. But I think, f- for me, he's someone, and as you touched on there, Ian, these reports that he has, you know, perhaps been talked to by Ralph Ranić and, and sort of said, you know, actually, can you provide, you know, a, a sort of soothing influence, you know, in, in kind of any areas of unrest? Because he's seen it all. He, he kind of knows how to perhaps put an arm around the shoulder or, or even say a kind of dry one line to a player to kind of try and, you know, generate some response from them. Clearly, he doesn't get everything right. He admitted himself, you know, he's, he makes mistakes. He's quite humble like that. But I do, I do think that he kind of can provide a good sort of ballast for for Manchester United as a club because I think if you get rid of people like him right now you know who who's going to come in and and and, do, and know more than him or, or do a better job 
And my final point, I suppose, is that he does look like perhaps he's reserved at the moment. But I think perhaps when in Champions League situations, we saw it against Atalanta, we saw it against Villarreal. That's when he, he comes alive and he, he still has that ability to kind of guide teams. He sees things quickly. You know, he's seen thousands of matches and um, I think that's why he can react quite quickly. So I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. It was just a snapshot into an evening of, of what he's about. But hopefully people can take away something from it. Yeah, you can go read that article on The Athletic at the minute. Um, we'll talk more on Thursday's podcast about Axel Twanzebi after switching Aston Villa for Napoli. And of course, we'll preview Manchester United's game against Aston Villa. We've got to go through it all again at the weekend at Villa Park. And we'll talk more about Cristiano Ronaldo then as well. Of course, it was a Ronaldo-less Manchester United last night, which a lot of fans wanted to see, were interested to see. I'm not sure how they feel about it this morning. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about him in preview to that game as well. But to round off this podcast, we need to return to the most pressing issue that Manchester United fans are facing at the minute. What is Laurie Whitwell drinking? You got quite a lot of attention to the uh, the old Amaretto story, didn't you, Laurie, post-game last night? Yeah, it was quite nice, actually, to dive into something I knew something about. You know, sometimes I'm kind of like trying to... What, rather uh, than football, you mean? Wait, exactly that. You know, I'm trying to... <laughs> has this podcast not explained that to you? You know, that I'm scrambling around for any kind of uh, you know, appearance of knowledge. Uh, drinks. I know about drinks. <laughs> well, at least I know what I like in drinks. Uh, yeah, someone mentioned Amaretto Sour as, as a great little mix, and they are I'm man after my own heart. That is one of my favourite drinks, but sweet and sour uh if you want a bit of cherry pop pop pop, pop that in on the top um yeah it definitely gets a recommendation for andy try it well it's I, not like rat piss i'll try it in your honor trust me the thought of andy putting cherries in his drink after he thought amaretto was some sort of spaceship drink i think he used the the term uh, rat piss which is a which is a bit unfair but i do like the way it, it divides opinions and i'm not sure what sort of feedback you're getting to the to the drink lorry i do i do like the smell of it. it's very distinctive isn't it I just didn't know what it was. I'm 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 talking nonsense here because I don't really know. I know very little about different types of alcohol. Do it with Coke, and it, it's like a nice Dr Pepper. Um, I don't. Know, I feel like I'm I'm getting all you know the, the the sort of you know people are coming to me for the drinks question. What about you guys? What do you like to drink? Water. I, I'm quite enjoying listening to you talk about it, Laurie. To be honest, I can't deflect off myself, can I? Now, okay. We need a sponsor for this podcast, don't we? So we can start saying today we've just been drinking so and so. Yeah, the end to the last podcast was basically Andy's um, story about uh, the old journalist saying that Manchester United is great when the car wash is running. So we had the car wash track running, didn't we, for the last sort of two or three minutes and then a fantastic glimpse into Laurie's mind and the exact marketing, which gets him to purchase drinks as well, which uh, I've got more I can talk to you about if you want, but I don't know if we can. We should save them for you know podcasts to come. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So... Mazzo or Amaretto, if you had to choose. Was it called Mazzo? It was something like that, wasn't it? I think there was Spezzi as well, yeah. There were different um, German drinks coming back, yeah, for the old Fanta Diet Coke combo, which I did have last night as well, by the way, just to let you know. I'm, I'm sure you're all eagerly anticipating that one. Um, uh, I, I, I probably would go for the old orange and, and, and Coke mix, just because Amaretto is a, spe- it's a treat, you know. It's a end of the night, take, take the edge off. To be fair, we probably could have had a few of them this season with the amount of you know, drama that's been going on in Man United matches. What we'll do then is if United, when United get to the Champions League final in St. Petersburg, we'll go out and try loads of different Russian drinks. I know some people who, who live there. Or, failing that, because it might not happen, given the way the team are playing at the moment, FA Cup final, we'll go out of that London and we'll drink what Cockneys drink and we'll report back to everybody. Perfect. Come for the Manchester United chat, stay for the drinks chat at the end. Absolutely brilliant way to round off the podcast. Right, don't forget, 
the 33% discount is back. You can get a third offer subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. And The Athletic are recording daily transfer shows, bringing you exclusive news and insight on any deals during the January transfer window. The only place you can hear these podcasts is on The Athletic app or by subscribing to The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Start your free trial today. More Villa chat, like we say, on Thursday. More drinks chat, maybe, as well, I'm sure. But that's it for today. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Laurie. And thank you to you guys for listening at home as well. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.